Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Any citizen can say the president did something wrong. Only 435 elected representatives have the sole right and the awesome responsibility for saying a president should be removed from office for it. Today, some of those lawmakers spoke. They put it all on paper in formal articles of impeachment for only the fourth time ever. Nine pages containing two articles drafted by Democratic members of the House Judiciary Committee. They accused President Trump of abusing his power in the language of the drafters to corruptly solicit election help from Ukraine and of obstructing Congress's investigation into the affair. Now, tomorrow evening, the committee, which is utterly divided along party lines, will debate. By Thursday, they could be voting, setting the stage for the entire House to decide, perhaps by next week, whether to impeach. And even as they weigh that next move, the president is lashing out. His attorney general is on the attack over the Russian investigation. Democrats in red districts are wondering how to proceed. And by the way, the Russians also happen to be visiting. It has been a big day. It is a big night. I want to start at the White House with CNN's Jim Acosta. How is the president feeling tonight about all of this? Do we know? Yeah, Anderson, I think we have a sense. Uh, he's at a rally right now in Pennsylvania. He said uh, that his supporters should not lose sleep over these articles of impeachment. He said uh, that these articles of impeachment are the lightest and the flimsiest he's ever seen before. And you're, you're essentially getting the same takeaway from people inside the administration, inside the White House. Talked to a senior administration official just a short while ago who said, uh, listen, the president was unbothered by this when he was spotted uh, leaving the White House just a short while ago uh, as he was heading out the door to go to this rally in Pennsylvania. Uh, but despite all of that, Anderson, despite those claims that he's not concerned about this, the president is continuing to mislead the public about what happened in that phone call with the Ukrainian president as he was talking to reporters leaving the White House earlier this evening, Anderson. The president said, well, when he talked about uh, asking about a favor with President Zelensky of Ukraine, that he wasn't talking about himself. And as, of course, we all know by looking at that summary transcript, he was very much talking about himself. He was trying to get information from the Ukrainian leader about uh, his uh, bogus conspiracy theory that the Ukrainians meddled in the election and, of course, trying to get information on Joe Biden. So he's continuing to mislead the public despite uh, these claims that they're not really worried about it. And does the White House believe that, that impeachment by the House is pretty much a done deal at this point? They see it as a done deal, Anderson. They have moved beyond the House. Uh, they, they see uh, the Senate trial as per- perhaps a place where they'll be uh, vindicated in all of this. They like the fact, obviously, that Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, uh, will be running the show over there. Uh, and, and just to show you how much they have given up on any kind of, uh, you know, daylight in the House uh, in terms of, you know, the president escaping impeachment. I talked to a senior administration official earlier this evening uh, who essentially said, no, we are not even considering the idea of a censure uh, of the president as a compromise that some of these moderate Democrats have been talking about because they are concerned about uh, their political future in some in, in some vulnerable districts. And so that is, I think, a very solid indication that, yes, at this point, the White House is already looking to the Senate. And, and they've certainly made it clear that at least the president is looking uh, for a defense to be mounted, a defense of, of himself to be mounted there. 
That's right. And I, I talked to the senior administration official this evening, Anderson, who said, you know, a lot of this is, is very much up in the air. It is unclear at this point. They do see the White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, is uh, potentially leading the president's defense uh, in a trial in the Senate, but they haven't ruled out the possibility that the president could appear uh, himself, uh, as unlikely as that sounds. And there's also this continued talk of, well, they may uh, try to bring in other witnesses uh, who have not uh, been called to testify, uh, sort of the Republican uh, dream list of witnesses, people like Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, the whistleblower, and so on. And I talked to a Republican official uh, on the Senate side earlier today and asked that, you know, how likely is that to happen? And this uh, Republican official said, well, it depends on if, uh, you know, you can get 51 votes uh, for that kind of an idea. And so this could be wild and woolly, no doubt about it, when it gets to the Senate, Anderson. And while the, the White House, while the president and his defenders seem to be welcoming this idea and relishing this idea of a, a Republican-led Senate trial, it does sort of open up the possibilities uh, that they haven't imagined at this point that other witnesses could be called to testify, like Mick Mulvaney, uh, Mike Pompeo, Rudy Giuliani. So, they're, you know, we're on the uh, dark side of the moon uh, if we get to the Senate. And I don't think anybody knows exactly how it's going to turn out at this point. Yeah, a lot of unknowns. Jim Acosta, thanks. Joining us now is Judiciary Committee member Eric Swalwell. Congressman Swalwell, obviously a historic day. I know you've said you'd hope to keep the articles as simple as possible. Are you pleased that they remain so narrowly focused? Uh, yes, Anderson. I think they reflect, one, that this president in real time is jeopardizing our national security and the integrity of our elections. That's why they're written not with a passive voice, but actually with an active voice. Uh, and two, that as we have sought to investigate, investigate him, he has categorically refused to cooperate at all. Do you, uh, do you believe that every Democrat in the House will vote for them? And, and it, what message will it send if they don't? Well, it's my hope that uh, every member uh, would you know, consider the evidence and vote for the articles, Anderson. Uh, but it is really truly a personal uh, decision, and there will be no lobbying uh, by anyone in leadership uh, on this. This is a matter of conscience, of your constituents, and the Constitution. And the opening statements, they begin tomorrow night. Will all the members of the committee speak? Is there something specific, some overall strategy that you, other Democrats, hope to accomplish in, in, their, in people's statements? That's the tradition uh, of impeachment in the Congress. And as you pointed out, this is only the fourth time that the Judiciary Committee has done this. And in the past, Judiciary Committee members will lay out uh, the case against the president. But it'll be very personal. Uh, and for me, what I will uh, convey is that no one else uh, in their life, at their job, at their church, anything they do would be able to leverage their power over someone else for a purely personal gain. That's not how it works for any of us uh, in our daily lives, and it's certainly not how it should work for the president of the United States. Do you have any idea when, when the committee and then the full House will actually vote on the articles? So we'll begin tomorrow night, and of course it could go into uh, Thursday uh, and even beyond. We're ready uh, to do that. We are going to move expeditiously, but it'll be fair. And, and just so it's clear, Anderson, the president has been invited to participate in this process, and at every opportunity he has refused to show up. And I think that goes to a very powerful consciousness of guilt on his part. And do you know about when the full House might get it? Well, it, as soon as we you know, vote on the articles of impeachment, if they pass, uh, the House stands ready. Uh, and I, I can't speak to a specific date, but I know my colleagues uh, are eager you know, to participate and make sure we protect the integrity of the elections and our national security. And, and just looking ahead to the Senate trial, your name has been mentioned as one of the possible managers, essentially the people who argued the case on the Senate floor. Uh, is that something you would like to have a chance to do? Uh, Anderson, I'm just interested in managing my sleep right now. Uh, all of us on the committee 
Uh, both intelligence and judiciary have put everything into this. Uh, and so it's really just one day at a time. And I, I think it would be irresponsible for anyone to look uh, behind the task, beyond the task ahead of us this week. And, and, and do you have any sense of how contentious it may be just in the next several days on the committee itself? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. And what's interesting is that all of the fire coming from the Republicans is about process. You haven't heard anyone dispute the facts. And I tried to lay that out yesterday, and you'll see that uh, tomorrow and, and Thursday, which is that there are about 12 key facts here that are just absolutely not in dispute. They're acts of the president. And yes, there may be times where we don't know what the president is saying. In the history of crimes like this, no one has ever said, I'm going to commit this crime and I'm going to do it in this way. But the acts of the president show that he used your taxpayer dollars, his office, to ask a foreign government to cheat an election that would benefit him. And just finally, I know you said that, that you know, obviously how each member votes is personal. I just want to go back to that. Are, are you at all worried uh, that more than just a, a handful of Democrats might pull back and actually not vote for impeachment? Actually, Anderson, I'm encouraged that it was many vulnerable members uh, when this call record was released about what the president was doing with Ukraine, people who had served in the military and in the intelligence community who were in vulnerable seats they were the ones who came forward, seven, seven of them. They wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post saying that no one's above the law and that this, this offended their sense of duty when they served, and it offends them today as they serve in Congress. And that's how we've gotten to this point. Congressman Swalwell, I appreciate your time. Thank you. My pleasure. Still to come tonight, more on the political calculations of the Articles of Impeachment. How solidly is the Democratic caucus behind the strategy of its leadership? Also, Attorney General William Barr's unprecedented attempt to distort, and that really is the only accurate word to describe what he is doing, distorting intentionally, knowingly, the conclusions of the FBI Inspector General's report on the origins of the investigation to Russian meddling in the election. We're keeping them honest just ahead. The breaking news at this time tomorrow night, the House Judiciary Committee will be debating articles of impeachment of President Trump. And as the House proceeds toward a full vote, likely next week, House Democrats must also justify the political calculations behind the decisions that they've made. Why, for instance, include articles of an abuse of power and obstruction of Congress, but not obstruction of justice? Are they moving too quickly? Also, how to address the concerns of some members in swing districts interested in a possible censure vote? Many today noted the timing of the announcement, which occurred the same day as word that House Democrats had reached a deal for a new trade agreement to replace NAFTA, something that could be popular with those same swing district Democrats. Let's talk about it. Uh, CNN political analyst and congressional editor for The New York Times, Julie Hirschfeld Davis, joins us. CNN chief legal analyst and former federal prosecutor Jeffrey Tubin, and CNN political analyst, journalist and author Carl Bernstein. Uh, Jeff, were you surprised that the, the Democrats went with two articles of impeachment narrowly focused on Ukraine as opposed to three articles of impeachment to include obstruction of justice? Not really, Anderson. You know, I don't want to say that the words don't really matter much, but, you know, the words don't really matter much. Does anyone really remember, other than historians, how many articles there were against Bill Clinton? What everybody remembers is that he was impeached. I mean, and that's what matters here. The fact that the Democrats decided to come to a consensus on the articles, I think matters so much more than what precisely the articles say. Speaker Pelosi took this path, at least in part, in order to get the more uh, moderate Democrats on board, obviously a political decision. Is that at odds with her constitutional duty, which is holding the president accountable for his actions? Are you, are you asking me? No, uh, Carl. Oh, Carl, I'm sorry. You're right. <laughs> it's perfectly consistent uh, 
uh, with, her, with her duties and to the Constitution. These articles of impeachment are very carefully and specifically drawn and make it much easier to have a meaningful debate that shows how the president engaged in a conspiracy to undermine our free electoral system by soliciting uh, the interference in, in the campaign of a foreign power. Not only a foreign power, but a foreign power at war with Russia. Once again, it's subtext, it's very clear through all of the articles drafted and the text. The subtext of all of this is about a president of the United States who continues to lie and to do the bidding of Russia and of Vladimir Putin. Why? That's still the question that we need to have answers to. And I suspect there's a lot more reporting to do for those of us in the press between now and the trial and further into this administration mm. about how what happened in Ukraine fits in uh, with the Putin agenda. You know, the, the, that's very high minded. But, you know, the framers gave the power of impeachment to politicians, to the House of Representatives. There's always going to be politics involved. And of course, this is partially political when it comes to Pelosi. But I mean, I, you know, the, the, everything Congress does is political. And I, I don't think there's any point in present, pretending otherwise. Julie, I mean, the announcement of the Articles of Impeachment came just an hour before uh, Nancy Pelosi announced a deal on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Pelosi said wasn't about politics. It certainly, uh, you look at that and you say, well, that's really about politics, no? Well, absolutely. I mean, it was very clear, I think, to Nancy Pelosi and to many Democrats uh, in, in, the, in the rank and file that if members had to go home right after, uh, go home for Christmas and the holidays, right after voting to impeach President Trump, and they didn't have anything to show their constituents for having the House majority, for having won that back last year, that that could be a very difficult place for many of uh, the Democratic members, particularly those in some of the more conservative-leaning districts where Mr. Trump has support um, to do. And so look, clearly there was an ins a very big incentive for them to get this done. Uh, I don't think that they necessarily timed it to the day, uh, but I do think that there was a, you know, a big push to be able to say uh, that they had gotten this accomplishment, that they, they were able to still do business with the president even as they were trying to remove him. And I would also say, uh, in terms of the, the narrowing of the charges, I do think that part of the issue here, in addition to the political dynamic, which has certainly been a, a big impetus behind their decision, is what they think they can prove in a Senate trial. I think that there are a lot of lawyers working on this who thought that a case that included the obstruction of justice issues tied to the Mueller report would be just more difficult to prove, that it wouldn't be their strongest case. And they are looking in the end to see if they can't have some sort of influence getting winning over some Republicans in that process. So I do think that there were there, there were other reasons beyond just the politics, which were clearly a factor yeah. here. Jeff, I mean, do you think there's any chance of winning over Republicans? You know, it depends what Mitt Romney thinks. But other than Mitt Romney, I can't imagine any of these Republicans voting voting uh, to convict. I mean, th this, th as I as I have often quoted John Boehner, there is no Republican Party anymore. There's just the Donald Trump Party, and I, I you know, the the team the team has assembled, and that's and that's the way it's going to go. Carl, I want to play something, Carl, that that Chairman Schiff said earlier today during the, their announcement on the articles of impeachment. The argument, why don't you just wait, amounts to this. Why don't you just let him cheat in one more election? Why not let him cheat just one more time? Why not let him have foreign help just one more time? 
That is what that argument amounts to. The president's misconduct goes to the heart of whether we can conduct a free and fair election in 2020. Carl, I mean, uh, Schiff is basically saying Democrats have no choice but to move quickly here with the election less than a year, year away. Well, the articles that are drafted talk about the president persisting. I think the word used is persists. Uh, he continues to persist uh, in trying to entice foreign entanglement uh, in, into our election. But more important, uh, I think we need to look at not just the timeline, but the question of the Constitution of the United States. If the Democrats and hopefully Republicans as well uh, did not move to impeach this president because of the grievous nature of the conduct. It's very, you know, in Watergate, Richard Nixon also tried to undermine free elections uh, by a massive campaign of political espionage and sabotage uh, to try and run against the candidate he wanted to run against in the Democratic Party, very much like uh, has happened here, except Nixon didn't involve a, a foreign power. But it was the abuse of authority, the corruption uh, involved in saying our Constitution means nothing. You know, the impeachment clause was specifically drawn. George Washington, James Madison talked about the danger of entanglements in our elections from foreign powers. This is what was intended in the impeachment clause. And we here we have a very, very strong case uh, of exactly what can happen when a president engages in this kind yeah. of basic corruption. Julie, you know, CNN is reporting that there's a growing divide between President Trump and Majority Leader McConnell on what the Senate trial should look like. McConnell apparently wanting to, to end it as quickly as possible and move on while the president wants a, quote, dramatic event with people like the Bidens or, or Schiff and, and the whistleblower uh, testifying. The president thinks a spectacle is his best chance to hurt the Democrats in, in the election. Who wins that fight? In the end, Mitch McConnell is the person who has to control this process. He's the one who is going to run this trial. Uh, obviously, the, the chief justice of the Supreme Court will preside over it, but he's the one that's going to have to determine the rules. Um, and he has said, and other Republican senators, our reporting shows, uh, we, we reported over the weekend, have told uh, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, and other White House officials, they don't have 51 votes to call some of these edgier witnesses that the White House wants. There's not going to be 51 Republican senators in charge of calling Hunter Biden, for instance. And so in the end, the rules of the Senate are going to have to be what dictates this, and also politics. Uh, for, for Mitch McConnell. He is very aware that he has some vulnerable, vulnerable Republicans who do not want a long, drawn-out trial, a big spectacle, many, many votes on the floor on this. They want to consider this, look like they're being serious about it, and then dispense with it. And so, obviously, there'll be some more discussions, but I think McConnell's going to be the one in control here. Yeah. Julie Hirschfeld davis appreciate it. Carl Bernstein, uh, Jeff, stick around. Uh, we're going to come back to you. We're going to get Jeff's take on Attorney General Barr's latest attempt to distort the inspector general's report on the FBI's Russia probe. First, it's been almost exactly 21 years since the last president was impeached. And up next, up next two veterans of the Clinton White House join me to talk about the road ahead for Congress, the White House, and the country. The similarities between the impeachment of this president and the one more than 20 years ago begin with this fact. According to The Washington Post, 84 current members of Congress cast a vote in President Clinton's impeachment. When difference is noted today by The New York Times, back then the Republican-led House voted on four articles of impeachment but only succeeded in passing two. 
Still, the impeachment of President Trump is likely to wind up in the Senate, of course, as President Clinton's did. Here's a moment from that first day of his defense back in January of 1999. The president's defense is based on the grand jury transcript itself. I urge you to read that transcript. Watch the videotape. You will see this president make painful, difficult admissions, beginning with his acknowledgement of an improper and wrongful relationship with Monica Lewinsky. You will see that the president was truthful. And after reading, seeing, hearing, and studying the evidence for yourself, not relying on what someone else says it is, not relying on someone else's description, characterization, or paraphrase of the president's testimony, we believe that you will conclude that what the president did and said in the grand jury was not unlawful and that you must not remove him from office. Well, two veterans of Clinton impeachment join us now, CNN political commentator Joe Lockhart, who served as White House press secretary back then, and CNN political commentator Paul Pagala, who was a White House strategist. Paul, I wonder when you watched that clip from the White House counsel at the time, uh, Greg uh, Craig, using the words difficult admissions by the president, do you see that as a major difference in how the Clinton team approached things compared with the White House that President Clinton admitted making mistakes? Yes, yes. As, as uh, Greg said in that statement, in the grand jury, the first thing Bill Clinton did was read a statement that he'd written, confessing to the affair, admitting that he had lied about it. All, all of us, nobody loves Bill Clinton more than I do, Joe does. We were angry and heartbroken, and we were able to say that. Democrats on the Hill said that. It was not a cult of personality. You know, so the defense was, it's a good man, did a bad thing, but it's not impeachable. It, the the, the the Trump defense seems to be, at least for what the president seems to want, is perfect call, I am perfect, nothing wrong. That just doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for, frankly, for sanity, for admitting, okay, yeah, maybe this wasn't very good, but let's not impeach him over it. Joe, Paul in the past uh, has talked about, you know, in terms of lessons learned, mm -hmm. that there was all sort of compartmentalization uh, of, you know, that President Clinton, when he wasn't meeting with the people who were working on his defense, uh, he was not talking about publicly the impeachment because he wanted voters and the Americans to know there was still business being done. That obviously seems not the system set up in this White House. What other lessons do you think there are that this White House should learn? Well, I think I'm going to steal Paul's line here, which is for President Clinton, the work was his therapy. It's how he got through this. Um, you know, I think there is the 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 similarity is that I think both uh, our White House and this White House has said that the actual act is partisan. Um, where it breaks down, though, is that Democrats in 1998 took this process seriously. There were moments in this thing, and Paul will remember, particularly after the president addressed the nation the day of his testimony, where a lot of senators thought it was time for the president to leave. Uh, Dick Kephart went out without even being asked and said, you know, impeachment's a possibility here. We may have to do this. Uh, Republicans from the beginning have basically said there's nothing to see here. There's no problem with obstruction. And I agree with Paul. There's there's no room for them to move if he doesn't acknowledge any wrongdoing or apologize like, like Clinton did. And the last thing is the president was very clear at the end of the on impeachment day and at the end of the Senate trial, it was time for the country to move on and heal. This president was out tonight in Pennsylvania making it, you know, saying, I want to revel in this stuff. I want these guys are all he used. He said the FBI is scum. The Democrats are crazy. They're maniacs. He's going to talk about this from now to Election Day. 
Paul, I mean, just in, in terms of mistakes the Clinton White House might have made, what traps would you advise this White House to avoid? Well, well look, first, don't lie. It seems simple, but, you know, you teach your children that, we should teach our presidents that. And, I, and the President Clinton had to pay an enormous price for lying about an affair. But those things are different. I think what's the, the really interesting thing is Clinton had a strong economy. Back then, everybody would say to people like Lockhart and me, well, you're just being saved by the strong economy. Well, we had a strong economy back then. We have a strong economy then and now. We have a partisan impeachment then. We're likely to have a partisan impeachment now. Clinton went to 73 percent. Trump's at 43. What's how do you explain the 30 point gap? It's because people thought that the, the offense Clinton committed was not impeachable at all. It was a, a, a sin, not a crime. And second, he was working for the American people every doggone day. And the president had a good win today on the trade deal with Mexico and Canada. Uh, I think it was good for the country. I'm glad Pelosi did it, too, because it shows that the, the Democrats aren't obsessed with just impeaching this guy. But he needs a lot more than that. I mean, it. free advice, Mr. President, join the gun bill. He said before he'd support a background check bill on guns. Support it now. Support the Democrats on things like maybe child care, maybe roads and bridges. I mean, he could actually get a lot of stuff done right now. And maybe mm. the trade deal begins to open it. Uh, maybe he'll, he'll watch this after his uh, uh, therapy session tonight in Hershey and, and change his entire approach to the presidency. What do you think? Paul Begala, Mr. Lockhart, we'll see. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Coming up next, the attorney general's attack on the FBI, the inspector general's report. And as painful as it is to say, his attack on the truth itself. Keep them honest next. Today, the nation's top law enforcement officer took aim at the nation's top law enforcement agency. Attorney General William Barr suggesting that the FBI acted in bad faith in the Russian investigation. And that is unprecedented. But perhaps given the last 24 hours or so, it's not unexpected. That's because right after the Justice Department's inspector general report on the Russia probe came out yesterday, Barr's boss, President Trump, was already denouncing it. At the same time, Attorney General Barr began criticizing the work of the inspector general, his own agency's top independent, we should point out, watchdog, which is also unusual, if not unprecedented. He pointed to a separate ongoing investigation that he himself commissioned, and that, too, is certainly unusual, as is the U.S. attorney in charge of that investigation, putting out a statement right after Barr criticizing the inspector general's report as well, which is what he did. And now there's more. Attorney General Barr sat down with NBC News' Pete Williams, who asked him whether he stood by his claim that Trump campaign, that the Trump campaign was spied upon. Oh, it's clearly spied upon. I mean, that's what electronic surveillance is. I think wiring people up to go in and talk to people and make recordings of their conversations is spying. Well, what the attorney general is doing here is blandly making two seemingly uncontroversial statements of fact that invite the listener to then draw a false inference that the campaign was spied upon. Keep him honest, though, he's smart enough to know better. For starters, attorney general, uh, the attor attorneys general do not call court-sanctioned electronic surveillance spying, or they haven't until now, precisely because it suggests bad behavior. And although the inspector general did identify 17 separate problems in connection with some of the surveillance warrant applications, he didn't find the kind of politically motivated wrongdoing the president has alleged for three years and that the attorney general is insinuating. No hoax, no politically motivated witch hunt were found, no informants inserted into the Trump campaign. As for wiring people up, the DOJ doesn't call that spying, spying either, but whatever you call it, it's immaterial because it simply didn't happen. Quoting now from the Inspector General's report, we found no evidence that the FBI placed any CHSs, which are confidential sources, or UCEs, undercover employees, within the Trump campaign 
or tasked any confidential uh, sources or undercover sources to report on the Trump campaign. And the funny thing is that Attorney General Barr doesn't actually claim this specifically happened either. He only suggests that it did. Whoever he did straight up say this about the bigger picture. I think our, our nation was turned on its head for three years. I think uh, based on a completely bogus narrative that was largely flan- fanned uh, and hyped by an irresponsible press. Well, the inspector general did not conclude the Russian investigation was built on a bogus narrative. Just the opposite. Quoting again from the report, the FBI had an authorized purpose when it opened Crossfire Hurricane to obtain information about or protect against a national security threat or federal crime, even though the investigation also had the potential to impact constitutionally protected activity. So wait, did someone say bogus narrative? It was an illegal investigation. It was started illegally. They were spying on my campaign and it went right up to the top. This was a, an attempted coup. This was an attempted takedown of a president. This was spying on my campaign, something that has never been done in the history of our country. This was an overthrow attempt at the presidency. Everything about it was crooked. Comey lies and leaks. He's a liar and he's a leaker. Some of the people at the top were rotten apples. James Comey was one of them. The entire thing has been a witch hunt. It's a total witch hunt. It is one great hoax. It's a Democrat hoax. I call it the Russian hoax. One of the great hoaxes. That is the bogus narrative. In normal times, the attorney general would be congratulating his inspector general for doing a thorough and professional job after such an exhaustive report that took two years, saying something like, I don't know, maybe like this. Inspector General Horowitz is a fiercely independent investigator, a superb investigator who I think has conducted this particular investigation in the most professional way. And I think his work, when it does come out, will be a credit to the department. Well, that sounds like a reasonable statement. And that's because that is what Attorney General Barr said about Horowitz, the inspector general, and his investigation just a few weeks ago before he suddenly didn't like its conclusions and then trashed it this morning. Joining me now is Jim Baker, the former, uh, the FBI's former top lawyer and currently a CNN legal analyst. And back with us, our own top lawyer, CNN chief legal analyst, Jeffrey Tubin. Uh, Jim, I mean, the attorney general today, what is going on here, do you think? I mean, what, we're, not, we're seeing statements from this attorney general unlike any we've seen from any attorney general in recent times. Yeah, I, I can't really explain it, Anderson. It, it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, I, I think he's trying to help the president advance his narrative in order to help the president stay in power, which the president obviously desperately wants to do. But I'm just like filled with sadness, frankly, about all this, uh, you know, because the attorney general's had a great reputation over the years of his career. And and I think he's I I just I I find it sad to see what he's doing now. I found Mr. Durham has had a great reputation within the department. I find that sad as well. I'm just I I just I'm profoundly sad about everything that's happening here. And it's just really unjustified. The facts do not support his his assertions with respect to the uh, investigation that we conducted. I was one of the people at the top of the FBI at the time. And I know we weren't involved in some plot to overthrow the United States government. Obviously, we were conducting lawfully authorized investigative activities to protect the country from Russia. It was the focus was on Russia. It was not on trying to get political information to hurt the president in any in any way. So oh, I, I just spare, find this whole thing sad. Spare me your sadness, Baker. <laughs> this the, the attorney general of the United States is a Fox News bot. 
and we have, and it's it's just, it's an outrage. I mean, just the, the first quote you started with. It's like, I think it's troubling when they wire someone, and they wire people up to go in, in, in a campaign. They didn't wire anyone up. It's a complete invention. I mean, the, I, the you know, the justice, I used to work in the Justice Department about 17 levels down uh, from where Jim Baker was. <laughs> but I mean, it's just outrageous. It's not sad. This is what's going, I mean, the, the fact that the Attorney General of the United States keeps demanding investigation after investigation until he gets the results that he wants. That's something that happens in the Soviet Union, not in the United States. Jim, I mean, what message do you think it sends to, to everybody working in the Justice Department that their leader has chosen to support the president and his lies about the investigation over his entire department, including the FBI and, and the inspector general, who is an independent body within the organization. Yeah, Jeff's got me all worked up here, so I'll try to remain calm. But <laughs> okay. uh, um, so I, I think it sends a terrible message. Look, the, and, and the president's statements, I think in his tweet, whenever it was about Director Ray, I mean, the FBI is not a broken organization. It is not and has not been. It is a tremendous organization. It's out there every day defending America. So um, the American people should rest assured that the FBI is there. It's doing its job. It's, it's protecting all of us. That being said, it's demoralizing, I think, when the, when the attorney general makes these kind of statements about uh, the investigative work that we did. And it certainly deters people uh, from wanting to be involved in these kinds of cases. The FBI has a lot of stuff on its plate, a lot of sensitive matters that they need to pursue aggressively. They need to be encouraged to, to be aggressive, to protect us within the bounds of the law, but not to be, not to be uh, commented on and, and said to be spying. Because if this is spying, then the attorney, under the attorney general guidelines and the law uh, of, uh, uh, supported by Mr. Barr, then his Department of Justice and FBI are spying all the time because this is lawful activity. It's not spying. And, and Jeff, I mean, the president tweeted today, and I'm going to put it on the screen. He said, I don't know what report current director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, was reading, but it sure wasn't the one given to me. With that kind of attitude, he'll never be able to fix the FBI, which is badly broken, despite having some of the greatest men and women working there. I mean, the, the only thing that Christopher Wray did was state factual evidence and the lack of factual evidence on the idea that Ukraine was interfering in the 2016 election. FBI and, and others in the intelligence community say clearly it was Russia. The evidence shows that. Um, that has now, suddenly now he is in the, you know, the crosshairs of the president of the United States. Yeah, you, you, the, the, the word that certainly jumps out at you in that tweet is current, you know, the, the current director uh, of the FBI. And, and he could clearly be a former director um, be before too long. I mean, the, the president has lied about this constantly. He's still lying about it. And the thing that is just so disgraceful is that he is being enabled, supported and endorsed by the attorney general of the United States who should know better. Mm -hmm. Jim Baker, Jeff Tubin, thank you very much. If you happen to watch Fox News for a balanced explanation of that Inspector General's report, well, you wouldn't get it. It was actually kind of uh, remarkable to see. We'll have more on that when we come back. Some late word from the president's rally in Pennsylvania. The president attacked the FBI, calling some members of the bureau, and this is the word he chose, scum. Chris, I assume you're not very surprised by that. Anyone and anything that is in, way, in the way of what he thinks benefit him loses. He lied about an inspector general report. He's lying because he believes people won't watch it. 
He'll lie and trash the FBI. He'll trash anybody. He'll trash you. Well, maybe not you, but he'll certainly trash Mm -hmm. me. Anybody who is in his way, he will never surrender the me to the we. That's him. Move him to the side. We're going to look inside these articles of impeachment. Is this the best case the Democrats could make or is it the safest case? So we're going to test that with Hakeem Jeffries. There's word that he may be one of the managers, one of the House members that presents it in the Senate. Is that true? I ask him right off the top. And we have a defender of this president. Why not just admit what's obvious? Won't this hurt them long term? And then Russia in the House again, Coop. Why do they get the red carpet when they lie to our faces? Mm. Chris, we'll see you about eight minutes from now. Lot to look forward to. Appreciate it. Attorney General Barr's repudiation of the inspector general's report received a rousing reception on at least one cable news network. We'll show you how it was reported and what at times seems to be an alternative universe. That's next. Watching the Trump administration echo chamber on Fox News might convince you at times that day is night. Last night's an interesting example. As we mentioned earlier, the inspector general found in his report about the Russian investigation that while there were some serious issues along the way, investigation itself was not as a result of political bias and was appropriate. The folks at Fox spent two years promising it would find something completely different. So listen to how the Fox News opinion hosts reacted last night and their new hopes for a new investigator. How can you determine there was no political bias in the FBI's handling of the Russia probe? His purview was limited. He was only right. sort of it was sort of in a bubble, the way I interpret it. Horowitz gave Democrats the talking point they craved. Horowitz couldn't find it. Perhaps Durham has been able to find it. John Durham is now very strongly hinting the origins of the Russia probe weren't just wrought with inaccuracies and errors, but instead downright unlawful. And with Durham, I would, he's going to look into it more and we'll see what happens there. In case you don't know who that last person was, it's uh, Stephanie Grisham, the White House spokesperson. You don't see her very much anywhere else but on Fox. Joining us now is CNN chief media correspondent Brian Stelter. That's true. Um, it is a, a remarkable just given what they had been reporting for so long, how they then sort of interpreted this. <laughs> Incredible and, and really disappointing for the people who work at Fox who are still reality-based, who still want this channel to be, you know, uh, as, as accurate as possible. Look, there's a difference between conservative and conspiratorial. There's a difference between supporting Trump's agenda and just slavishly, blindly believing whatever he says. But unfortunately, that, that gets lost too often in this coverage on Fox. It's as if all nuance is lost and nonsense wins out. And we we're really seeing that vividly this week. Also, I mean, there is this sort of echo chamber. It's been talked about a lot. Yeah. But, you know, the president watching Fox, Fox being where the president is watching, the president criticizing Fox if he doesn't like a poll, uh, which, you know, is ludicrous, the idea that they're somehow <laughs> manipulating polls against the, the president. Yeah, and I, I've been talking to dozens of sources inside Fox in recent months, and a lot of them describe a frustration that the network feels like it's surrendered to Trump. Not every show, not every hour, not every person, but there's a sense that Trump is in charge of Fox, at least parts of the Fox lineup. Is it a financial really troubling. decision? Or, I mean, obviously there's, you know, some politics is it political purely or financial as well? This is It's partly political. It is definitely also financial. Uh, viewers on uh, Fox viewers expect a certain message. In some cases, Fox viewers reject anybody who's not delivering it. Look at what happened with Shep Smith at Fox. You know, sometimes people say we're in a post-truth society, and I don't buy that, Anderson, but we are suffering through 
truth decay. And the echo chamber is a big reason why. It's like plaque that builds up and it's building up to the point where we're not just getting cavities, we're getting root canals. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's because of this echo chamber environment. I kind of sometimes think that if, if Trump didn't have Fox, he'd have to invent it, you know, because it is the main thing keeping him around 40% in the polls. Uh, you'd wonder if he'd be at 20 or 30% in the polls were it not for those daily cheerleading sessions on Fox. Brian Stelter, appreciate it. Brian, thanks. thanks very much. News continues right now. I want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris?